Hey, before we get started, uh, you might have noticed on your way in, we've got some cool illustrations up of the upcoming building expansion. So check that out if you didn't see it on your way in. We are getting close to the end of the planning engineering phase, and so we hope to be applying for permits here shortly, hopefully in the next uh, couple of weeks. So we'll keep you updated on all that. Hey, if you are new around here or if you're just joining us for the first time in a while, we are in the midst of a short little two-week series. And next week, we will be launching a new series uh, that will take us probably all the way to Easter. And we're going to be continuing our deep dive into the book of Luke. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Luke and taking it in chunks of about 10 or 12 weeks and then doing some other stuff in between. So we're going to head back into that next week. And I'm really excited about that. But tonight we have something that I'm also excited to uh, share with you guys. Now, The theme that kind of ties this series, this little short two-week series together, is the statement we made last week, and that's this, that the distinguishing mark of a Jesus follower is love. We looked at this scripture where Jesus said, this, by this, people will know you're my follower. You know, not by your, not by, you know, how regular your church attendance is, you know, that's good, but that's not, you know, not how much you give, but how you love, right? That's what's going to be the determining thing that shows people that you're my follower, And we said we don't always do a real good job at that, do we? We looked at the idea that spiritual maturity isn't as much about what you know as it is about how well you love. And we were able to see this uh, this scripture by the Apostle Paul. You all know it. It was very familiar. In fact, we said part of the problem is the scripture was so familiar. And that's 1 Corinthians 13, the most famous words ever written about love probably in the world, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. You've heard them at weddings. And, and what we saw is, is in this passage, the Apostle Paul says, hey, you could be the most spiritual, faith-filled person operating incredibly used by God. And yet, if, if you don't have love, it's going to amount to a big fat zero, right? Remember the multiplication tables? How, how we said that usually, typically, a number multiplied by anything becomes a much larger number. But anything multiplied by zero is always what? Zero. zero. Very good. You remember your remedial math from last week. And so today what we're going to do is try to give you some very practical tools to help you not multiply by zero when it comes to the relationships in your life. And to get us started today, let me just ask you, have you ever said something that kind of got lost in translation by the other person. Yeah, you're like every week, right? Every day. I have this, uh, this time I was on a missions trip in Peru. We were in the deep jungle of the Amazon, and uh, I was teaching at this little church, and uh, sanitation is, is a big problem down there. And so I was trying to, I was teaching on sanitation, trying to get them to understand the importance of you know, pit latrines and things like this, because I was in community development work. And uh, as I was up in this church talking, I'm up there giving this illustration, and I'm trying to be kind of polite because I'm in church, but I'm like, even the Bible talks about sanitation. And so I said, the Bible in Leviticus talks about, it says, there's this place, and I've got this guy translating for me over here. I'm like, there's this place that says, uh, you know, when you got to go to the bathroom, you know, number two, when you got to go to the bathroom, you go outside of the camp, you dig a hole. I said, you do your business, you bury it, and you cover the hole. 
And you all know exactly what I meant, right? And these guys just stood there and looked at me with blank stares on their face. Because the translator, there's a different word in Spanish, and it didn't translate through the same way. And so he literally translated it. You, you dig a hole, you do a business transaction, <laughs> you cover it, you know, you bury it, and you cover it. Everybody's like, what in the world are you talking about? What's this guy talking about, right? But the, the word love, when we talk about love, is similar in a couple of ways. First, I think, is, is in the way we describe love. You ever notice that? That we use the same word to mean a lot of different things that really aren't the same at all. Like, I love my mom, and I love hot dogs. Not quite the same thing, right? Or, I, I, uh, I love golf. Or, I love that 80-inch Ultra HD TV. I do, right? I don't have one, but I want, yeah, I love one. Or I love my cat. I don't know why you would, but you know, some of you, some of you say that, you know, or I love the mountains or sunsets, right? We say it about nature, all kinds of different descriptors. And then we also use the word love to, to say, I love you to our son or our daughter or our spouse. And really, when we mean it, we mean it of this, this expression of a lifelong committed love, right? Like when you say that to your kids, you mean it as sometimes you tick me off and sometimes you make it really hard to love you, but I love you and I'm committed to you and nothing you could do changes the fact that I love you. And so it's this deep commitment we express. All very different things, right? And so that's one of the ways that, that that's the same as getting lost in translation. The other way is the way we express love, the way we express love to other people. And a lot of times when it comes to loving others, things can really get lost in translation. And one of the big reasons why this is, is is because so often our attempts to express love are in a language that we speak and we understand, but the other person may not understand at all. Have you ever had an an instance like this where you tried to do something for someone and you thought, I'm doing this for you, and they took it completely the wrong way? Where you did something and, and instead of it being translated as, I, I really love you, it, it, it backfired on you. And you're like, what's going on here, right? And oftentimes, unconsciously, our attempts to love others become more about how we would like to be loved than the person we're trying to love. And really, this is only normal because we are all fallen, selfish human beings, aren't we? That's what Scripture teaches us, that, that we've all fallen. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a selfish bent. And we, we naturally meet our own needs, not always other people's needs. And even when we attempt sometimes to meet other people's needs, we try to do it in a way that meets our needs, and ultimately, when that isn't received, have you noticed then something? Have you noticed how if you've done that, you, you've done something kind for some someone or something for them, and it didn't come across? They didn't, they didn't feel love when you did it. In fact, maybe you just get a lecture on why you didn't do it right. And in that moment, you just get bitter and hurt, right? And and sometimes you feel, I bet you felt at some point, like how could they have misinterpreted that, right? Now. In both the ways we describe love and in the way, ways we express love, so many times they end up being self-serving. Things that make me happy, make me feel good, 
things that please me. And that's why scripture constantly reminds us that love really isn't about me. That could be the big takeaway from last week, right? Love really isn't about you. Love is something that's, that's, that's given out. Yes, you receive love and you're loved by God, but the point of the love we're called to show others isn't really about us, it's about them. And scripture just reminds us of this over and over and over. And, and, and the primary example for the way we're supposed to love others is the person of Jesus Christ. One of Jesus' closest friends and disciples wrote this in one of his letters in 1 John. He said, this is how we know what love is. This is the only way we can actually really understand if you want to understand what love actually really is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then the Apostle Paul in another letter describes this kind of love. And I think it's it's one of my favorite passages. This is one that my mom made us memorize, uh, the book of Philippians, when I was in grade school. And it's one of those things your mom makes you do, and later you're really glad she did. But at the time, you're like, really, mom? So, you know, when your mom makes you do things, young people, just go with it. You'll be happy you did later. So Philippians 2, Paul says this. When, he, when you want to know how God's love really works itself out, here's how it works itself out. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And here's how that works itself out when it comes to our relationships with other people. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Everybody say that word, those words, more important. More important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests or your own needs, but also for the interests or needs of others. And so Paul says, if you want to really understand what love looks like, this same love, here's what it looks like. It's not selfish. That echoes what we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not what? Self-seeking. It considers others as actually more important than yourself. That's not a popular message in our culture, is it? In fact, the mantra of our own culture is take care of yourself first. Take care of your own needs, right? It's, it's about me first, isn't it? Paul would go, no, actually, the, the mentality of a Jesus follower is I, I'm going to place your needs in, in a place of primary importance to mine. That, that I'm not going to just look out after my own interests, but your interests are going to be just as important to me as my interests or my needs are. Verse five, have this attitude in yourselves. So in case you think you're doing a great job of this or at this, here's our example. Here's the model. Here's how you do this. You have this attitude, the attitude of Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, he got down to our level, didn't he? 
The point Paul's making is, is he got down to our level. God incarnate, God in the flesh, he became like one of us. He met our needs. He spoke our language, didn't he? He spoke our language. He, he met the needs of those around him. And then he met our greatest need when he gave his life on the cross so that we could have eternal life. And Paul wraps up this little section like this. He says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's the way that God demonstrates his own love for us that he was willing to come, he was willing to speak our language, to become like us, to meet us where we are at, to humble himself. And ultimately, when we talk about love and, and our love for other people, love isn't really ultimately about how we feel about someone or how someone else makes us feel. It's about knowing and meeting the needs of other people. And so what we're going to do in the rest of our time here today is we're going to look at some practical ways to demonstrate and communicate love to people in our lives. And so that we don't multiply by zero, and so we don't attempt to communicate, I love you, but get lost in translation, we're going to look at some really cool little tools from a book that was written about 28 years ago. And that's by an author named Gary Chapman. It's called The Five Love Languages. And there's also some other versions. You can check them out over at our Home Point Center here and preview them. Five love languages for, for children, for singles, for teenagers. And uh, basically, Gary Chapman's premise in this book is that all of us have a primary love language. There's five primary love languages that we speak. And a love language are, are vehicles by which we communicate or feel love. These are the things that when somebody, um, when your spouse or when your parent or, or your child displays these towards you, it just lights your jets. It fills your tank. It makes you feel loved. It makes you realize, I am loved by you. Now, let me just take a quick poll before we get going here. How many of you before coming this weekend had heard about, or before this weekend or last weekend, because we handed out our packets, had heard about the five love languages? Yeah, almost everybody in the room, right? Okay, so now let's see how, how uh, it sunk in. How many of you know all the five love languages? Hey, all right, not bad. Now, how many of you know the love language of everyone in your family? All right, about five of us. So I think this is going to be a really helpful talk, actually. I think these tools could be really helpful for you and really add to the dynamic in your home, and really help you love each other and love one another the way that we're called to love. And for some of you, this is a great reminder. Uh, for me, you know, I did this, read this book in premarital, and sometimes I joke around that we shouldn't do premarital, we should do directly uh, postmarital, you know, because when you're in premarital, you're just in love, you know? You're like, we'll never fight, we all never disagree, we just, we're in love, Right? And then, you know, the first year of marriage, part, part way into it, you're like, what was that we learned? I don't remember. We were two googly eyes at each other. We didn't, you know, you had to go back and search through the, anyway. But I remember this. Uh, we, we, we did this. But for me, it's been a great reminder as we go through this week. In fact, I knew I was preparing for this message. And so <clears throat> as I'm preparing for this message, 
Um, you know, my wife's love language, one of them is physical touch or in words of affirmation. So I, you know, just come by and like rub her back a little on the way. She's like, you're really trying, aren't you? And I'm like, <laughs> yes. <clears throat> trying not to be a hypocrite. Okay. So for some, for some, this will just be a reminder and you'll be like, oh yeah, why did I forget that? Or why haven't I been, why hasn't that really been on my radar? For others of you, this will be a real aha moment because you've been speaking a different love language than your spouse or you've been trying to speak your love language to your kids and it's just like there's a disconnect and they haven't felt loved. And this may be a real aha moment for you. And, and this isn't just for, for those in relationships. This isn't just for parents. This is extremely useful in, in the workplace of understanding what communicates value and affirmation. In fact, Gary has a book specifically for the workplace. And this, you know, in the classroom, this, this has application with your friends in all different areas, roommates, you know, of understanding what makes someone feel loved and someone feel appreciated. How do you communicate love? To them. To love each other, we need to speak the love language of those we want to love and serve. And here's here's the five love languages words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Those are the five love languages. And, And here's the thing about these we all need all five of these to be spoken to us, and we all need to communicate and speak all five of these love languages to others on a regular basis. But for you, there's probably one or maybe two of these that just shouts, I love you, to you, right? And and the thing to note is other people's love languages, love languages usually different than your own, other people in your family. In fact, I bet most of you, your spouse has a different love language than your own, which sometimes can be um, kind of frustrating, right? Because you're trying to do the thing you, li- you love that speaks love to you, and you're like, don't you see? I washed your car. What more do you want from me? You know? And I'm like, well, a little card or a pat on the back might be nice too. You know what I mean? You got to learn to speak the language that speaks love to the other person. Um, a great example of this, to understand this, is uh, how, how many of you have ever traveled? You've gone to a place where they speak a foreign language, have you noticed when somebody isn't understanding, we just talk slower and louder? You know, you just ramp it up. I want a taco. You know, it just gets louder, right? Just gets louder. It's, it's not very effective, is it? It rarely ever helps. And the same thing is true in our relationships. So, so often when we're trying to communicate love and, and it's not in a primary love language of someone else, it's just like we keep speaking and doing it louder or more aggressively. You know, he's like, why is he washing the car so angrily out there? Because I love you, you know. Not really communicating what you're wanting to communicate. Okay. So we're going to dig into these five expressions of love one by one. But before we do, I thought I would just summarize them all. So if you fall asleep, you can just remember. And uh, to do that, I'll use a cool meme that's been circulating on Facebook. Um, This is the five love languages of tacos. And Mexican food may be one of my love languages. I know it's not, you know, one of the five, but I think it may be one of mine. So here's how these work themselves out for those that love Mexican food like me. Your tacos are delicious. Words of affirmation. Your tacos are delicious. Acts of service. I made you tacos. Receiving gifts. Here's a taco. Um, Quality time. Let's go out for tacos together. And then physical touch. Let me hold you like a taco. All right. Let's close in prayer, go home, 
You got it. Now, here we go. Words of affirmation. Now, some folks you can serve, some folks you can give gifts to, and, and they appreciate that. But, but if you don't say the words, I love you, or I'm proud of you, or I appreciate you, they're just not going to hear that you love them. There's, there's plenty of people, pa- parents, um, there's plenty of people. Some of you have wounds in this room because you grew up and you never had a parent that, that said, I love you to you. And you kind of knew it, but yet there's a wound, especially if this was your love language, because that parent wasn't verbal. They didn't verbalize it. You got to speak, I love you, particularly to people who this is their primary love language. Some, some categories of words of affirmation are words of admiration. Like this is who you are. You know, I admire this in you. Man, when you do this, you do such a good job at that. You're an amazing, you know, mom. Those kind of things on a regular basis. Uh, words of admiration or words of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow, I just appreciate you so much. Words of um, encouragement. Hey, I'm, I'm here with you and I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere, right? I believe in you. I support you. You can do this. Encouraging words. Encouraging words. Words of commitment are huge, too. I love you, right? I love you. I'm not going anywhere. You're stuck with me. Those are words of commitment, right? And some of you, you're not real, real verbal. This isn't an easy thing to do, right? You feel like, I'm, I don't know. I just feel so awkward. But this is part of love, is learning to get past yourself and love others in the way they need to be loved. And so if you have a hard time speaking this love language, but, but your, your spouse or your child, this is one of their primary love languages, you better figure this one out and you better get really good at it. And some of you, you may need to plan a little bit. You may need to write out some phrases. You may need to take out a calendar and uh, schedule some things, like send a note to my wife, you know? You might want to make it random so it appears random, you know? But some of you... you Hey, she'll appreciate it. Trust me. Do whatever you need to to remind yourself, right? A little pop-up thing on your phone. Send your wife a text. A little simple text. For someone whose primary love language is words of affirmation, a couple of those really cheesy emojis with just an I love you, you know, with like the kissy face and uh, the heart. Guys, I know, it's not her thing, right? But trust me, you'll send that off and you'll get like 18 emojis back, you know? Make a point to compliment them in front of other people they respect and care about. And and if their love language is words of affirmation, don't ever tear them down in front of other people. Don't ever criticize them in front of other people that matter to them. Speak positively about them in front of the kids. How amazing. You've got an amazing mom. Your dad works so hard for us. Your, Your mom works so hard for us. Speak words of life, right? Speak words of life. And here's the thing. Don't ever use harsh words. Because for someone who this is their love language, harsh words can last way, way beyond the moment. And you've experienced this, haven't you? If you when you've spoken a harsh word to someone who this is their love language. I mean, you may have a kid that you can rebuke them loudly, you know, and it, doesn't even phase them. I've got one of those in my house. 
And then you've got one that you can barely even look at crosswise. And you, you say a, a word in a little bit of the wrong tone, and it, like, it wounds them, right? Don't ever use harsh words. Proverbs 15, one says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You've got to use kind and humble and gentle words, just like we saw last week in 1 Corinthians. Love is what? Kind. So that, words of affirmation. Then you have quality time. Quality time. And you can subtitle quality time as undivided attention. Undivided attention. And to have quality time, you've got to have a couple different things. You have to have quality conversations. Those are huge part of quality time, right? With an emphasis on how do you listen? You know, some great, great questions to ask are, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? How is your day? What's, what's, you know, what's good in, in life right now? What's causing you stress? What's causing you fear? What's bringing you joy? Quality conversations. Just to have some time, undivided attention, where you can connect with each other and hear about each other's lives, and you can just listen. That's a big deal. Quality activities are also a big deal. Going and doing something enjoyable and fun, having, having a date night, or just going and spending time together, going out and playing golf you know, with your, with your son, or, or, or going out or whatever the thing is, shooting some hoops, you know, going on a hike or a walk down on the, on the riverfront trail with your spouse. That's quality time. Taking your kids and doing something that lights their jets. And, and here's the, the key on that is to go with them and do something they enjoy. And you don't necessarily have to enjoy it. You just have to be able to enjoy them enjoying the, the experience, right? You don't, you don't do it because you love it. it. This isn't about you. This is about something they love. You just better make sure at least one of you enjoys doing it. The other one has to be willing to endure it, right? It has to be something you're willing to endure. But it's something that expresses love when you have quality time with the others. Here's, here's one rule on this. One thing don't do. Don't have distractions. Like, we live in an epidemic age where these little things go off and distract us. I mean, you know, you, you hang out with your friends, especially if you're in younger generation. You guys hang out, and half the time's on the phone, isn't it? And for people that, whose love language is quality time, there needs to be undivided attention. A great rule to have in a family is that at mealtimes, technology goes away. Like we're not picking it up. It's not at the table. It's, it's out of reach so that we can actually connect together. That's one of the most positive things you can do for the healthy dynamic of your family. Technology goes away. I thought it was just kind of a U.S. thing, but I was in Thailand uh, last fall, and myself and uh, a guy named Jim from the church, we're sitting down eating at this little Thai restaurant, and we look around, and everybody in the restaurant is on their cell phone. This is in Thailand, in this little town in Thailand. I'm like, this is a worldwide thing. And what happens is, is if quality time is your love language, before you know it, if, if all you have is distraction in your life, that goes away. And it's very easy to begin to feel unloved. And some of you, your kids, you're having a hard time because your kids or your teenagers, you want to have quality time with them, but they're, they're like, I don't really want to do that with you, mom or dad, right? And one of the big keys to this is to find something they really like to do and you enter into it. I uh, asked my son uh, the other day when they were little, 
when he was little, he used to love to go to Home Depot with me because he called it the potty store because we'd go down the, uh, the, one of the aisles and he'd just play with the toilet lids, right? <laughs> so that worked great until he was like three or four. But now I'm like, hey, you want to go to Home Depot with daddy? Nah. <laughs> He's just not interested, right? But his thing right now is Legos. So if I want to get down and get on his level and do Legos with him, man, he's all about that. My daughter and my son, if I take them to the, to the swimming pool together, they love that. They want dad to hang out with them and do that. And you got to find something your kids or your spouse or your friend that you want, you're trying to express love for really that they enjoy doing. And you just got to enter into it with them, picking activities that you know they want to be engaged in and find rewarding. Third one is this, receiving gifts. Receiving gifts. And, and here's what a gift really is. A gift is a tangible symbol of love. A tangible symbol of the relationship. And when you give a gift, what it does is it symbolizes this relationship is extremely valuable to me. I'm just guessing if you're here and you're married, at your wedding, you probably exchanged rings, right? Some of those were very precious and very valuable. And why was that? Because that expressed the value of the relationship, didn't it? And the commitment to each other. It was a gift. You gave gifts. And here's the thing about this gift. Some people are kind of embarrassed to admit that this is their primary love language. You know, my love language is gifts. You don't have to be embarrassed about it. This is some, a way that God wired you up. It doesn't mean you're shallow. It doesn't mean you're materialistic. You know, unless the gifts you're asking for, you know, bling, 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 honey, if you love me, you know, then we need to deal with that. Okay. But the point, if, you, if you're a person whose love language is gifts, the value is not the point, is it? The amount spent isn't the point. The point is you were thinking of me. You took notice of what I like. It could be a, something, a 90-cent thing, you know, from the dollar store or whatever. You could bring it home. And if that speaks, you were really thinking of me. You really took notice of something I liked. It could be a, a latte on the way home, right? I bought this for you. And it just speaks love to you. It just speaks volumes to you. It, the key to the gift is I saw this and I thought about you. I know what your interests are. I've been paying attention. It could be something you purchased. It could be something you made. And some of you, this is a hard one for you because this just isn't your love language. Um, gifts really aren't mine or my wife's love language. So Christmas is kind of boring around our house. <laughs> but if your spouse's love language or, or if your, uh, you know, your kid's love language is gifts, never forget an important holiday or an important occasion. That's something you don't ever want to do, is forget an important event. Because, and even more than important events and holidays, the random gift out of the blue sometimes speaks even much more, right? Now, some of you struggle to love others in the way, because some of you, you know, some of you money's just money, you like to spend it, you know, whatever. If you die broke, great, you know, you had a good time. Others of you, like, it's a big deal to accumulate, and, and somehow you score yourself, you know, on the percentage points of interest that you make during the year and that kind of thing. And that makes you, that makes you happy. And so for you, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, cheap people unite, right? You're cheap. No, you're not. You're just thrifty, you know? 
you like to get a good return on your money. Um, okay, I'll, I'll share a true story. When uh, I think it was the first year we were married, um, my wife and I, I'm a guy, right? Guys, we sometimes forget Valentine's Day. But I forgot ahead of time, of course. And then I realized on Valentine's Day as I'm leaving work, it's Valentine's Day. And so I panicked like all guys do when they do that. And I ran down to Sam's Club because I wanted to bring my wife a dozen roses. And so I ran in and I, and I run up to where the roses are in Sam's Club and just happened to run into a friend of mine, a guy named Miles from church. And we're standing there looking. And the problem is um, it's Sam's Club. Everything's in bulk. I'm like, I wanted a dozen roses. All they have is two dozen roses. And that's more money than I want to spend. And so me and my buddy here, we start talking, and we both had the same predicament. And so I said, Miles, uh, yeah, I got an idea. What if we split it? Go to the cash register, pay. We'll grab an extra little thing. We'll wrap it. No one will ever be the wiser. So that's exactly what we did. And the plan would have worked flawlessly, except for he ratted me out. <laughs> And I've never lived it down. And so then it became a joke. And every year after that, for the next couple of years, the, you know, we got four guys in on it the next year. So it was like six roses, you know. <laughs> um, so don't be cheap. Some of you, this will be a, a little challenge for because you think there's so many, so many better things I could do with this money. No, there's not. If that's the thing that communicates love to your spouse or, 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 or to your, your son or daughter, man, pony up. Do it. Receiving gifts. All right. The fourth one is this, acts of service. Acts of service. And those with this primary love language, um, you know, they appreciate the words, I love you, and gifts. It's like, oh, cool, thanks, you know, and then they'll stick it on the shelf in the closet. When you do something that helps lift their load, that speaks volumes, and I'm just saying, you know, with Valentine's Day coming up, for those with an acts of service, some of the remote, most romantic thing you could do is like pay the bills or vacuum. Get out, you know, get out the vacuum and vacuum the floor, you know, and you could just be kind of strutting around like, this is hot, honey, you know, I'm vacuuming the floor and she might see it that way. Okay, uh, so you could vacuum the floor, gassing up the car. Changing a diaper, maybe a couple diapers, guys, right? Changing a diaper. Some of you, you might need to get past your preconceived ideas about what a man does in the home and what a woman does in the home, right? In order to really love your spouse or, or love the other in the way that speaks love to them. But the key with acts of service is, is, is when someone has a heavy load, if you can figure out a way to help make that load lighter, man, that speaks volume to them. When you do a simple act for them that may not seem like much for you, man, that communicates volumes. My wife uh, knows this is my love language. And um, almost every Saturday while I'm writing my message in the basement in my little office without fail, uh, she brings me this nice big salad. It communicates, I love you, right? What can you do to pick up someone else's load? What can you do? Number five, the fifth one is this, physical touch. And physical touch is part of how God created us, right? Think about it when you greet somebody. What do you do? You instinctively, you know, reach out and shake their hand or, or give them a hug or pat someone on the back, 
Give someone a high five. Or if you're guys, you know, and, and, you, know you, you, you hug and then you, you, know, you make sure you get a good like double pat in there that hurts a little bit just so you feel manly. You know what I mean? You, know, you guys know what I mean, right? But we instinctively know that physical touch is a love language that speaks to pretty much all of us, right? But for some, this is like a big deal. This is their primary love language. And you got to be careful with this one because it's a, it's a sensitive area in our culture today. And so outside of your immediate family, you got to be very, very careful with this, right? But for those whose primary love language is physical touch, man, that hug, that just that, that little brush on the hand, that little hand on the back as you come through the kitchen or, or whatever, that kiss on your way out the door, it speaks volumes. It communicates love. And some of you, you're just not very um, touchy, right? You're like, I'm not just not very touchy. And here's what you got to be really careful of. If you have someone in, in, your, in your family whose, whose physical, whose love language is touch, especially your spouse, when you leave home, don't just holler from the other end of the house, right? See you later, honey. I'll be home at lunch. Make me lunch, please. Peace out. Yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Take the time to pause. Take the time to go up. Take the time to give that kiss or, or give that hug. Because it communicates what? I love you. I notice you. Some other things you want to be really careful of. When, you're, when your spouse tries to hold your hand and you pull away, man, that's a, or, or they squeeze your hand and, and you, know, you don't squeeze back. That can be very hurtful. If, if you're married to someone or if, if you have a, a child who's, who's that's their primary love language. Some of you, you got to go, you're going to have to make some extra effort because this is your kid's primary love language and, and you're not a cuddler, you know, and you need to cuddle a little bit. You need to cuddle. Because what happens when you don't do those things is you actually communicate that I don't really care about you like you care about me. And just a quick note on this is, is for men, particularly because men often um, have more desire or more need for regular intimacy in marriage. Don't confuse that. If you're like, I think that's my love language. Don't confuse that. If, if you don't, if outside of those moments, you don't crave hugs or touches or back, you know, little hand on the back or anything, it's probably not your primary love language. Okay. Primary love language is different. It's different than that. So basically, the bottom line is this. In all of these things, the key is to be others-focused in the way you express love, isn't it? To be others-focused. And, and here's a couple questions you might ask, is how can I know what my love language is? And we've got a tool for you. If you didn't get this last week, or if you threw it on your back seat and didn't look at it, you might want to pull this out and uh, take a look at it, because there's, there's some quizzes in here you can do in your... Uh, marriage or if you're single, uh, there's one. Or if you're, um, if, you, if you're a parent with kids or a teenager, you can do a little test in here and figure out what your love language is. And if you need extras for members of your family, they're at the Home Point Center. And uh, there's an online test you can go on and take too. And that's all in this packet. And you can figure out what your love language is. Also, there's some great recommendations for do this and don't do this for the different love languages for those in your family. Of course, you could buy the book and read it. That would be helpful 
too. And then also, to help you, remind you, we've got a couple things that we're going to leave, leave up for a couple weeks here this month. One of them is going to be a photo booth. And uh, you can go up and you can take a picture. And there's these little signs you can hold up. And you can take a picture that have your family's love language on it. Take a picture on your phone. And then maybe you want to get it printed out, stick it on the fridge. And it'll just help you remember. And it'll help you communicate love. The other cool little thing we have are some wristbands that have love languages on. You could grab those in your family and wear those around. It's just a cool little thing to help you remember. And for little kids, if you go back to that other picture for a second. She has a little sign that says, love me always. And that's because for kids under five, it's very hard to tell what their love language is. My little six-year-old girl did the, the test and all hers were even, right? She just, she loves it all right now, you know. And so it says, love me always. But as they get older, um, boy, do those love languages start to develop and come out. And then another question is, uh, do, we, do our love languages change over time? And the truth is, yes, they do. In fact, I, several people last night after service commented, I took the test. Mine changed. I couldn't believe it. You know, I did this 20 years ago or whatever. Mine changed. And that's because in different seasons of life, when you're facing different things, your needs are, are sometimes different. So retake it, even if you did it 20 years ago. Okay? And then it's possible to have more than one love language. My wife's were pretty much dead even. And some of yours, you'll be the same way that a couple of them will be pretty much dead even, and that's really helpful to know. Now, here's a good question, and we're just going to close this way. What, what if others don't meet my needs? Part of the problem in a talk like this is because it can bring up a lot of hurt, because some of you, you did take this 15 years ago, and your spouse forgot, or your spouse hasn't done a very good job of meeting your needs. What do you do when you communicate in your family, or you communicate, and your needs aren't being met. A couple things. The first one is, we're followers of Jesus. We give grace to others, right? And when you see your spouse in there, and you know what their love language is, and they're doing those things for you, understand that even though they're not speaking your love language, that is communicating love. And so just understand that. And instead of getting upset about the fact that they're doing that, accept that as love, Right? Accept that as love. But the other side of that is that if this talk really, you know, allows bitterness to rise in you because you're not being loved well, um, you need to go back to God. You need to go back to the gospel. Because this talk isn't about how you can make your spouse show you love in the way that, that you feel it. It's about meeting other people's needs, right? Don't, don't weaponize this. I just see it in my mind, you know, the Gary Chapman book with little missiles on the bottom of it, you know, that you're going to shoot at your spouse. The point of the talk isn't that. That you would take this and beat someone over the head with it, right? The point is, how can I better love those in my family? In fact, back to Scripture. Remember, it's not about us, is it? How did God demonstrate his love for us? God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's the gospel, isn't it? 1 John 4.11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, God first, go to God to meet your needs. Rely on him. Trust him to be the one who meets your needs. He has the ability to do that. He made the perfect sacrifice for you 
the ultimate act of love. And we're always going to fall short of that. We're never going to do this perfectly. That's why forgiveness is always such an important aspect of this. So you got to pray for God to give you the strength to love the way he calls you to love and then be others focused in the way you express your love. Would you stand? Father, I just want to say thank you for my friends here. And Lord, as we learned and are reminded of this really practical tool for expressing love to those in our lives, would you allow us just to be sensitive to the needs of others and be others focused when it comes to our love? Thank you so much for the amazing gift you gave us when you gave your life for us and the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate display of love. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.